0: Support for the For The Culture podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer just for you, 20% off, and free worldwide shipping with promo code CULTURE, at manscaped.com that's promo code culture c-o-l-t-u-r-e at manscaped.com i just got the 4.0 i was one of the first people to use it i absolutely love it i feel like a whole new man and if frank reich has the balls to go for it on fourth down the least you could do is shave yours and you could do it now with the 4.0 from manscaped use promo code culture for 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscape.com that's promo code culture c o l t u r e at manscape.com Hey what's up everybody it's your favorite quarterback hater
1: Robert Mathis and you're listening to the For the Culture podcast
0: this is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man Jason Spears, back with another For the Culture Q A. Jumping right into question number one, are you worried about cornerback? We didn't address it in the draft or free agency, and how confident are you with Rakyasin Sin playing the two-spot? Well, for me, I think you've got to just, you've, you've
1: got to let this play out. You've got two young guys back there. you got Marvell, you've got Rock. You've got to let them battle it out. And if everything falls through with those two guys, you've got TJ Carey, who can play there as well. I, I just think right now where we're at as an organization, as a football team, you've got those two young guys. And I'm telling you, I really, I'm, people sleep on Marvell Tell I really like him. I like his athleticism. I think he fits our defense well. And I'm not and I'm not saying Rock can't bounce back because he absolutely can. He's got all the physical tools. My point though is that we didn't need a corner nearly as bad as I think everybody thinks we did. We have two young players outside of Xavier Rhodes and TJ Carey that really need to we need to see what they can do. We have no idea what Marvell can do with a full season of of play. And Rock has struggled, so you you know, you're people are kind of down on him, but he's in his third year. He's learning. He's played well in some games. I I mean, I remember back in the Packers game last year, he made a great read on a throw and made a great interception. He can make some plays. He's got to get more consistent. I'm good with where we're at right now. But I will say this. If one of those guys doesn't step up this year, and even if they do, I I think we're probably going to go corner in the draft next year early because, you know, there's a good chance Dave isn't back. So we'll see what happens, but as far as this year, I'm good with it. I think I think I like the guys we have. I think their upside is is there, and you, you just want to make sure you make the right decision. And I think the right the guys that we have right now could easily be the right guys for the future.
0: Absolutely, like you said, we're pretty much running it back. You bring back Xavier Rhodes on a one year deal. You bring back TJ Carey on a one year deal. You get back. Marvell Tell, who opted out last year with COVID. And then, of course, Rock going into year three now. Kenny Moore, the best slot corner, in my opinion, in the National Football League. Even Isaiah Rogers now going into year two. So you run it back with last year's corners and the addition now of Tell. But also, we upgrade the pass rush in the draft. And that'll make their job easier. We talk about it all the time, Jason. When you have a pass rush, it makes the corners job. Everybody's on a string. It's like five fingers to a glove. So... If you have a pass rush, they have to stay in coverage less time, and that makes their job easier. So with the addition of Pay with Dio, I think that we are going to see an improved corner room and an improved secondary this year just based on quarterbacks having less time to throw against our defense. So just from that perspective, I think the entire defense as a whole and the secondary and the corners are all going to be better this year with the additions of Pay and Dio, who we hopefully see sooner rather than later coming off the torn Achilles. So I'm not, I'm really not worried going into the draft. I did not think we were going to draft a corner. I just didn't think it, we were getting questions about it beforehand and bringing back Kerry right before the draft, Xavier being one of the bigger signings we made this off season, bringing back Xavier Rhodes. I didn't see a corner in the draft to the Colts in, in our mock draft. I don't think we drafted a corner and people were saying, why not? And we were like, well, because we're pretty much running it back with last year's corners And you're getting tailback. So it didn't look to me going into the draft like we were going to draft one. We go in and we don't draft one. But with the additions up front, it should make their job easier for sure. If Fisher misses a few games, who would you prefer to start at left tackle? Tevi, Holden, or Other? I guess Other would be Davenport, but I absolutely do not see Davenport starting week one or the month of September if Fisher's not ready to go. And right now... I don't expect Fisher to be ready for at least the first few weeks.
1: It's a pretty simple answer for me. It's not a great answer, but it's the answer I have. And it's Sam Tevy. I mean, he's got a ton of experience. No, he's not. He's not a great football player, but he can hold the fort down for a couple of games. Is he going to be great? No. Is he probably going to give up some sacks? Probably. But this team lived through Chaz green and the Raven Clark. And I don't (laughs) think Sam Tevy is even on the same. I think he's way above that. So, I think they'll give them some help. They'll scheme the offense a little bit differently early on, but I'm not too worried about it. I think once we get Fisher back, we'll be fine. But it does – it is concerning because the first five teams we play, unfortunately, of course, the schedule did us no favors, are all teams that won 10 or more games last year. So it's a concern, but I do think Sam tebby has got the experience and – you know, while not a great player and in lacking in some areas, he's also decent in some areas. So he's certainly better than the options we had last year. So I'm not too worried about it. If something happens to him, then I guess you, you know, maybe move holding over there. I, I, I don't know. That's more my, my, my concern is more, what happens if Sam Tevy gets hurt more than, you know, who starts at left tackle. So Hopefully he can stay healthy and we can get, you know, five solid performances or six, whatever it is, out of him before Fisher comes back. But to be quite honest with you, I'm really not that worried about it.
0: Yeah, the way I try to look at it is last year we have Costanza, right? He's your starter. He goes down and then it turns into Chaz Green and LaRaven Clark. Going into the year, you don't know if he's going to go down. But if he were to, as we talked about this time last year, the concern was the depth. This offseason, we know that our starting left tackle is going to most likely start the season injured, but we upgrade the depth. So if Fisher was healthy right now, we would feel really good about Sam Tevy being the backup tackle. And I do believe he's improved depth. He started 43 games, I believe, the last three years for the Chargers. And I said to somebody on Twitter, he's improved depth. Like a bad starter, that's like a legitimate NFL starter, but towards the back end of the starters that do belong in the national football league are usually really good backups. So if you're like a bottom somewhere from 25 to 32 at your position as a starter, you're probably going to be a pretty good backup if you're able to start in the national football league. And somebody said to give them an example. And I said, Jacoby Brissett, he's not a good starter, but he's still a good backup. If you're somewhere from 28 to 36, 37 in the league as a quarterback, you don't want that guy to start, but if that guy's your backup, you have a pretty good backup quarterback who could win you some games here or there in a spot start if you need them to. So we're just in a position where we happen to know that our starting left tackle is going to start the year injured. But if we went into it with a healthy Fisher and he were to go down at some point during the season, I would feel good about Sam Tevy. So I kind of feel the way you do right now, Jason. The concern is if Tevy goes down and then – you have Holden and, God forbid, Davenport, who I didn't even think we should have signed Davenport. But that's my fear because you're already starting your first line of defense down. So you're starting with your backup. If the backup goes down, you're already on your third string, one injury into the season because you're starting the season with the first guy already being hurt. So, yeah, I agree. It's Sam Tevi for me. Not a great option, but it's still a backup. This is not the Colts didn't sign Eric Fisher. This is the Colts signed Eric Fisher, and you just have to wait out the process. So I feel a lot better right now than I did, let's say, a week and a half, two weeks ago before we signed Fisher from the Chiefs because we know at some point this season we're going to get him back. It sucks that we're going to see some good pass rushes early in the season. Of course, it sucks we're going to see the Titans at least once without our starting left tackle being one of the most important games we'll play all season but to know we're going to get him back at some point and we're going to have a playoff stretch towards the end of the season with a starting left tackle who's made multiple pro bowls and played in playoff games in the super bowl you got to feel good about that so i definitely feel a lot better right now than i did post draft or pre-draft at the tackle position after signing eric fisher what other free agents would you sign right now that are available Well, for me,
1: I'm looking at a couple positions. I don't know what is out there exactly. I would like them to look at Gino Atkins for defensive tackle. I don't know if he comes here, but it's worth kicking the tires on. I think he would be great to have in the locker room. Melvin Ingram, an edge guy, maybe somebody like that that's a veteran that might have something left. You could at least come in and, and work him out. Uh, and then Zach Ertz is somebody I think that will be released. And I think the Colts would be interested in, in him if he was. So those are the three guys, I, you know, that I, that I think the Colts would look at. But, you know, at this point, I don't expect to see, but maybe one or two signings at most, depending on who's released, you know. And if Ertz gets released, obviously the Colts would probably look at him to add to their tight end room. But, uh, you know, as far as edge guys, I think there's maybe one or two guys out there, but it all depends. Like the, I think a lot, you know, I've heard rumors of a lot of guys getting cut after June 1st. So I think that will play a big role, which is why I'm, I'm not too excited about the Julio Jones rumors or whatever, because I think the Colts, if they were going to sign a receiver, they're going to wait till June 1st and see if a big-name guy gets cut and maybe they bring him in uh, if that's something they that they want to do. But I, I think there's options, but I don't think the Colts are going to make a huge dent in that because most of the guys that, that you're interested in, other teams are going to be interested in too, and they're going to look at our situation and say, well, I'm not going to start there. And I think that's why a lot of guys decided not to sign here this offseason, uh, especially – The guy from New Orleans, Rankins, he really wanted to come here, but he wasn't going to start. And so that was the that was the reason he chose to go somewhere else. So it's a couple, you know, it's always a lot of different variables that go into these signings and what happens or whatever. But I definitely think the Colts, as always, as Chris Bauer says, he always does. will keep his eyes open and see if he can add anything to make this roster better. And if he can, he'll absolutely do it.
0: Could the Carson Wentz trade make or break Ballard's career? Yes and no. Could it make Ballard's career? Yes. If Carson Wentz comes in, he's an MVP caliber quarterback like 2017. The Colts win Super Bowls. It'll absolutely make his career. Could it break his career? No. The Colts are in a position where there is definitely success if Wentz doesn't work out. If it's going to break anybody's career, I could see Reich being tied to Carson Wentz, being that Philadelphia connection, everything like that. And if Reich were to go all in and stand on the table and make this trade go down, if Ballard likes something else, maybe something like that. But Ballard's career is not going to be broken by trading for Carson and it not working out. So could it make it? Yes. Could it break it? No.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And And I like what you said. I mean, it's really tied more to Reich. I mean, obviously, People are going to look at Ballard because he made the trade, but Reich is the guy that really wanted him. And so if he is unable to get Carson back to the three-year span where he threw 81 touchdowns and I think only 21 interceptions or something close to that, that's going to fall on Reich. So I think it ties Reich to Wentz more than anything else. And so I don't think it will necessarily affect Ballard. It will have some negative effect. But not the effect that I think it will have on Frank Reich because this was his his doing and this is somebody that he thinks he can re- resurrect their career. And so Ballard listened to him, you know. It's a good option to have. Carson Wentz has played great football in this league, so they believe in him. And so if it doesn't work, which I personally think it will work, I think Carson Wentz is going to get back to playing like he did in, you know, those three years. But if it doesn't work,
0: you know, that's going to fall on everybody's shoulders. But mostly
1: I think it's going to fall on Frank
0: Reich's, Mm -hmm. especially because the word break to me sounds like fired. And I absolutely do not see Ballard getting fired over Carson Wentz and trading for Carson Wentz if it doesn't work out. So I just can't see it breaking his career. No, but it was a very good question. I thought the question was very good where do you rank the Colts in the AFC? Do we finally win the division this year? So a two-parter, where do we rank them in the AFC? And do we see the Colts winning the AFC South? And we haven't won the AFC South since 2014. So where do I rank the Colts in the AFC? Well, everything starts after the Kansas City Chiefs, right? The Kansas City Chiefs are number one. They deserve that back-to-back AFC champions. They won the Super Bowl two years ago. They're the defending AFC champs for the second year in a row. So, The best anybody in the league could be, in my opinion, or the conference, I should say, is second for starters. We lost to Buffalo last year in the playoffs, even though I thought that we were just as good. And if Kamoka doesn't jump off sides and a couple things happen, I think the Colts could easily win that game. I'll still put Buffalo ahead of us because they earned it last year. They were better in the regular season. They beat us head-to-head. Once you get past those two teams, I think a lot of it's going to come down to What are you getting out of Carson Wentz? We don't know. We're changing quarterbacks now for the fourth time in four years. So there's obviously a lot of question marks there. But right now I would say that It's a two-team division between the Colts and the Titans. And people seem to think that the Titans ran away with the division last year, which is just not the case. Both teams went 11-5. They split against each other one-on-one. They each beat each other on the road. When the Colts lost to them, we didn't have Buckner. We didn't have a ton of guys. We didn't have Buckner. We didn't have Taylor. We didn't have a ton of guys in that game. We were all types of banged up. I don't think we had Costanza. We had so many injuries in that Titans game or Costanza left in the first quarter or something like that. But we had a ton of injuries in that game so I just don't understand why people are making it like the Titans ran away with the AFC South last year because they didn't it was very close it came down to the second tiebreaker and it came down to us losing to the Jaguars week one that was inexcusable we never should have lost that game but the division was very 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 close last year between the Colts and the Titans and with the improvements we've made and with their issues defensively I definitely could see the Colts coming out of the AFC you do have other good teams but right now I would say the two teams I would definitely put ahead of us even though I think we could beat either team in a one game elimination or anything like that I would go Chiefs one Bills two and then I think the AFC South winner would be right in that mix right there after those two at least and of course there's other teams you could put in there but I think that the Colts have a very good chance this year to win the division if you get what you think you could get out of Carson Wentz and I think the winner of the AFC South, there's no reason they can't be the third best team or even better than that in the AFC. Yeah, for me,
1: I look at it like this. I look at the Chiefs and the Bills as the two teams that I think are are really head and shoulders above everyone else based on their two quarterbacks. I mean, they're the two best quarterbacks, in my opinion, just my opinion, in the AFC. Mm-hmm right now and they're both young and they're getting better and so i expect them to continue to get better as far as the rest of the teams that we're competing against i think we're kind of all in the same area i mean you look at baltimore cleveland indy tennessee miami new england with all their additions i think they're kind of all in the same spot one team i i think people need to keep an eye on that are, is might shock you is the the chargers i think with with uh, herbert and and the improvements that they've made, they get some guys back. They're certainly a sleeper to make a run to the playoffs, maybe a back end wild card team. I'm sure a lot of people think I'm nuts, but I just think they're a sleeping giant. They've got that kid's gonna be a special player. Um, our biggest issue as Colt fans, that, that's tough for us, is we play a ridiculously difficult schedule and the, the teams that we play in, you know, in, like in the AFC, we play at Baltimore. That's, you know, that's that's going to be tough. They're tough to beat there. Um, and, you know, we get Vegas at home. Um, and then we have the, the AFC East, which is no joke. I mean, you've got Miami's going to be on the road. That's tough. You know, we should be able to beat the Jets, but they're much improved. And then you look at New England, they're improved. They're coming to our house. We need to win that game. Um, and then you look at Buffalo. We go to Buffalo. That's, I mean, those are tough, tough games. So there's a lot of games within the games, games that are more important than others. Like like the beginning of the season, we play two NFC teams and three AFC teams, and they're all very, very good. I will be much less upset if we go two and three, as long as we beat the Titans and one of Miami and Baltimore, because there, those would be two humongous wins, even if we went two and three. I would – I I'm honestly, Luke, I think I would take that. I think mm-hmm. I would take two and three if the two wins were were over Miami and and Tennessee because Tennessee,
0: That I mean, that's the division. Mm-hmm. You know, we lose two games to an NFC. That's something team. that hurt that's- us last year. We went 4-0 against the NFC, which was great. We wanted to beat the NFC North. That Packer win was huge. It was one of the best moments of the year for us as goal fans. But then when it comes down to tiebreakers and everything like that, we lost out yeah. on pretty much every t- – like we were lucky – that the bills didn't lay down and they beat Miami because we right. virtually lost every tiebreaker. When you right. look at the final teams last year, because we lost AFC games. We lost a lot of those head to head games. And then we also had that Jaguar loss, which put us behind the eight ball with the Titans who, besides yep. their one lost to us, they swept the Texans and they swept the Jags as we should have. Yeah. hundred
1: percent. So You know, mainly my my thing is we have this this year, this team has got to get focused and make sure they take care of the most important games. Mm -hmm. And those games are the intra-conference stuff where they're playing against, uh, you know, Miami, Baltimore. See, those were the games we lost last year. We had Cleveland. Uh, We don't play Cleveland this year, but that was the game we lost last year that really, Mm -hmm. uh, really set us back. So they're um, good. Yeah. And they're very good. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, – we're, we're, I think it's the first two, and then there's a clump of like five to six yeah. teams that are all around the same, and I think the Colts are in there. I think, And I think the Colts could easily win the AFC South, but until you do it – and again, we haven't won it since 2014, so it kind of goes through Tennessee until we do. That's the way I look at it.
0: Yeah. No, no, that's definitely fair. They are the defending champs of the division, so they deserve that. It's just when you look at last year, after week one – The Colts are the division champs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that game counts, and you got to beat Jacksonville. You get Jacksonville week one, you have a lead, you have a second-half lead, you don't score a touchdown in the second half, you have to win that game. So it's not an excuse. It's just in a long season, if you take away the first week, the Colts win the division. So it just – got to come out. And that's another thing. I know we play back-to-back NFC West teams. You have to come out of training camp this year and come out of the gate looking like you're I, I know you're you're not supposed to be a midseason form right away, but you have to look more competent. We haven't won a first week game since 2013. Yep. That's two coaching staffs ago. That's like four starting quarterbacks ago. That's a long time ago, 2013.
1: Yeah, and Luke, there's a trend with Reich that I am not liking at all. And I and I'm gonna point it out right now. Every year we have played a horrendous team, a team that picked in the top three and come out and absolutely played a horrific game. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to 2018, Jacksonville. Do you remember that game? Yep. Six nothing against a backup quarterback. No excuse to lose that game. 2019, remember the Miami game, the Brian Hoyer game? No excuse to lose that game. That's a bad team. We have more talent. There's no reason you lose that game than last year. The Jacksonville, game again, they won one freaking game all year. It was that game. There's not, look, we can talk about, you know, all these other teams and all that, but you have to beat the bad ones too. Mm -hmm. And we've lost to three really bad football teams in the span that Frank has been here. Now I'm not knocking Frank or saying he's a bad coach. I'm just pointing out facts that has to change this year. There isn't any, there's not very many layups on this schedule. So every game against a lesser team, you have to dominate. We can't afford to have another one of those games where we lose to a team that's picking in the top three of the draft. If that happens this year, we're going to have a very difficult time making the playoffs.
0: Yep. What veterans do you see getting cut this year from the 53-man roster? That's a great question, something nobody's really talking about, the veterans that we could see cut. Um. That is a great question now that I think about it. Julian Davenport, I think. Yeah, I was going to say Davenport. You know, a couple of the yeah. guys they brought in this offseason. I could see Davenport getting cut. Yeah, Maybe Isaiah, I mean, uh, da- Isaac Rochelle getting cut. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there's
1: got, I mean, there's, yeah.
0: Maybe Jordan da- Wilkins if they really like the kid out of Duke. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, Jordan Wilkins is an option. Uh, I think Julian Davenport's probably got a stretch to make the team. Maybe Malik Jefferson at linebacker. Mm-hmm. They just signed him.
0: Yep. But
1: yeah, there's not a lot of guys,
0: man. Yeah. You kind of rather you, you trade got, I mean, if it's Wilkins. I rather, much rather trade, and obviously, always rather trade than cut. I much rather trade Jordan Wilkins, who really should have obviously. some value. He does. He. Do, you would think. And here's here's one for you. Here's I'll give you
1: one uh, a long shot, probably one that's not the Forest People aren't going to think about. No, it's uh, oh, okay. Good, Quentin Nelson Blankenship in Panero, because Panero can kick from fifty-five out and is more a little more consistent. Yep. That would be that wouldn't be a surprise to me. He's a veteran. He's got way more time in the league. Uh, I think that could be an option. But dude,
0: yeah, but then that all... would be then Blankenship would be getting cut, right? Yeah. Does Blankenship count as a veteran? I guess you're right. No, good point. What's the veteran cutoff? Like five years in the league, three years in the league? I think it's three. So, yeah. Yeah. So that should be interesting. We'll definitely have a competition there. I don't think it's going to be yeah. as easy as people. Yeah. They're think not it just going to hand it to them. That's why nah. they signed Pomero. For sure. That's a good one. I think the most, the safest bet, if you were to put money down on a veteran getting cut, it would be Davenport. Oh,
1: yeah. Of because he
0: was like backup, backup. And then you have Holden coming back. You have other interior options that I guess in a pinch, if you had like four injuries, could bounce outside and play tackle. If you started playing musical chairs, Tevi's going to be your number one backup who's going to start the season. And then Fisher's eventually going to come back and be your starting left tackle. So I think Davenport's the safest option. No question. What's our strongest position group, our weakest position group, And what do you think Ballard will address the remainder of this offseason? Well, we kind of already talked about what Ballard will address. You talked about a couple free agent options that you might take a look at. As far as the strongest and weakest position group, strongest... I would go running back. I think the running back position group is just insane because you're bringing Marlon Mack back who was a pro bowler two years ago. You have Jonathan Taylor, who played at an all-pro level the final six, seven weeks of the season. So you get those two guys. You get Mac back, hopefully relatively healthy and back to where he was before the Achilles. I know that's going to be tough, but hopefully you could get him back to close, like 80%, 90%. That'd be incredible. You have Jordan Wilkins as your number four. You have... Naheem Hines as your number three, who you could bounce around. You could play him in the slot. He returns punts. I mean, it's just an incredibly talented position group, the running back position. I know linebackers, too. You do lose Walker, which could be viewed as addition by subtraction. You're bringing back Leonard, who's one of the top linebackers in the league. Okariki getting on the field more as an addition. It's a boost to that position group. We have good depth at linebacker. But I still think the best position group, because you don't lose anything, is the running back position the offensive line when healthy the starters are great the backups are much improved and that's obviously an anchor strength of this team as well so those would probably be my top three with running back being number one and then weakest I don't think the receiver group is bad but I would say the receiver right now is at least a question mark on this roster because it's not O-line, it's not running back, it's not tight end, it's not quarterback, even though I guess you could make the case for quarterback because if you get twenty twenty Carson, then I think it would be quarterback. Defensively, I like the corner, I like the starting safeties for sure, we add depth, I like the defensive line now with the pass rushers and the interior defensive line was already good. See, I'd probably go wide receiver. We don't address it in the draft until late with Strawn, so I would say right now, although it's not a terrible position group, and it's better than I would say in years past. I would say the weakest right now is probably receiver. Cause you don't have that like number one, like automatic elite guy. TY is not that guy anymore. I really like Pittman going into year two, but he still has a lot to prove Paris. You just have to get him on the field. He can't stay on the field. He's played in, I think nine out of 32 games. He's had almost as many injuries as games played after two years, Pascal's solid, but he's not going to wow you. He just, he is what he is. He's reliable. He's a lunch pail guy. But I would say right now the receiver group is probably my weakest and then my strongest is running back, where I really don't see a flaw in the running back room. For me, it's
1: pretty simple. It begins and ends as far as strongest with the offensive line. I mean, you you go down the line. Obviously, Fisher out the first five weeks, but I'm looking at this as a whole picture. When Fisher's on the field, it's going to be Fisher, Quentin, Kelly, Glow, and Braden and then you've got Tevi to back him up, you've got the kid we signed out of Carolina who's actually really good has started for a long time there to back up at guard. Um, you've got Holden and Or Fries that could play right tackle or, you know, Fries can play right tackle, right guard, left guard. You've got Penter to back up. So I think we're I think we're we've got a great offensive line with great depth. And then my the weakest position for me is edge we have nothing Proven there really nothing And I'm not saying I, I don't like What we have I think pay is going to be great I Think Dio when we get him back is going to be Great but somebody's gonna have to Step up early in the season whether it's terre or Lewis Or Banagoo I don't know who It's going to be but th- that's That's an unproven spot there's a lot Of potential there but potential Really ain't shit unless you put it together On the field and so That's kind of my biggest worry going into this season is, you know, how fast will those edge guys be able to adjust and make, you know, make progress and be able to affect the game. You know, I'm not really about sacks myself anymore. The more I learn about the game, I'm more about affecting the quarterback. So that's my biggest issue. It's not really the whole position group. It's just really our edges. It's not the whole D line. I love our interior guys. It's just the edge guys. So the defensive ends, and they've got to play well. That's the biggest issue for me. So that's probably my weakest link on our team right now, and it's all about proving themselves. And they're going to have an opportunity. they got to take advantage of it.
0: And that leads us right into our next question. How comfortable do you feel about edge? Personally, I feel like there's a lot of talent and potential, but lack proven good players does concern me. So Sam's concern is exactly what you just said
1: absolutely and i feel exactly what he feel exactly like he's saying that you know there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of you know upside for a lot of these players and i and i'm i'm rooting for all of them obviously we all are as colt fans but like i said man potential means absolutely nothing it's all on paper it's got to be on film it's got to be on the field it's got to be in the games and we don't have a lot of proven players. I mean, Lewis played well in spurts last year. Ture played well in spurts in 2019. What are we going to get out of pay? I think pay is going to be a, a pleasant addition to the roster. But we need Ture healthy. We need, you know, Lewis healthy and playing like he did last year. Uh, and Bannagu has to take the next step. I mean, we've got talent there. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we don't have anything proven there. So that's that's really, to me, the number one issue heading into this year. It's not its not the left tackle spot for five games. It's not any of that. It's can we get pressure on the quarterback and affect the quarterback throughout this entire season? Because we're going to have to do that. And people love Justin Houston, and I love him too, but he was very inconsistent last year. He'd have games where he'd have two sacks, and he'd go five weeks with none. Then he'd have three sacks, and he'd go two weeks without any. And he get, you know, what I mean. Mm-hmm. You need consistent pressure. You need consistent effectiveness against the quarterback to to get them off their spot and make them make mistakes. And when we didn't have that. Teams ate us apart. So that's what we need to do. And uh, I think you know the the potential makes me feel a little better, but. I've got to see it. And it's we're and we're going to get tested right out the gate against Russell Wilson. So it's going to be interesting to see how we attack those those things. One other thing I would say about the edge, and I I think Fluese, every year he's been here, he's changed something. I think this year you're going to see more blitzing. Not anything insane, but I do think you're going to see him make teams make decisions faster. Instead of letting quarterbacks sit back in the pocket and kind of, you know make their decisions and go through the progressions. I think he's going to try to speed up quarterbacks this year with different blitz concepts, maybe some that we haven't seen. So I am excited about that. I think that's going to add a great deal to our defense because Flues, every year he does something to improve or change up his scheme and improve it, make it better. So I think you're going to see that this year as well uh, when the season rolls around. But as a whole, man, I love our offensive line. I think it's the strength of the team. I agree with you. Running back is also a strength. For me, definitely the biggest question mark is is defensive end and edge position.
0: Do you personally think Carson Wentz stunk it out of Philly on purpose last year so he could possibly come here? I know that sounds a bit rubbish, but his mood and demeanor seems completely different than when he was in Philly. This is definitely a little conspiracy theory-ish yeah. for sure, right, Jay? I know what you're thinking because when I started reading it, I was thinking that too. But I do think there's some truth here. There's indirect truth. I don't think that Carson Wentz was tying his cleats, thinking I'm going to suck today so I could get traded to the Colts and be with Frank Reich this off season. I don't think that was the case. But was there something internally in Carson when he woke up Sunday morning, where he didn't want to be in Philly anymore, and there was a disconnect between him and Peterson and the organization? Was there part of him that didn't like the fact that they took Hurts last year in the second round? For sure. There's no doubt in my mind that there was a disconnect between him and the Eagles. Didn't mean he was trying to be bad. Didn't mean he wanted to lose. Didn't mean he wanted to get benched or any of that. But I do think there was some truth there that he was uncomfortable and there was a lot of disconnect in Philly. Then fast forward to this offseason. After being benched and having Hurts take your spot and all of that... I think that he obviously wanted to come to the Colts when it looked like his time in Philadelphia was over his number one landing spot. And I think this is confirmed at this point was the Colts. You have Frank Reich, you have a great offensive line, you have a running game. It's a good spot for you where you could go and you compete for a playoff spot immediately in Indianapolis, you know, the system, you know, the coach and all that. So I think indirectly there's truth to this conspiracy theory, but there was absolutely no chance. He woke up, on December 3rd and said I'm going to suck today against the Cowboys so I could get traded to the Colts in the offseason so directly no indirectly yes I don't think he wanted to be there anymore and then when the opportunity came for him to get traded to the Colts I think he was all about it and I think he definitely kind of forced his way to Indianapolis in a sense when that trade possibility arose.
1: Yeah, I have actually an interesting story on this. Uh, I was told this a while back by one of my sources. And it's funny because let me just to answer the question first. I don't think Carson stunk it up on purpose. I think he played poorly. There was a lot of stuff going on with that team behind the scenes, you know, with coaches and not getting along with, you know, certain coaches and, you know, being frustrated, I think frustration played a, a huge role in that. And I do think by the end of the year, he he knew the writing was on the wall, and he was probably not going to be back. And you know, having Jalen Hurts come in and play, being benched, all that stuff went into it. I but as far as like you know the beginning of the season, I don't think it was some grand master plan by him because he came out, he played well, I think in the first couple of games, but then it just he just struggled. He had a bad year, and you know it happens. The story I have, though, is interesting. Um, So once the season was over, the, the Eagles, Howie Roseman, and their brain trust basically were very close to signing Josh McDaniels as their coach, but they wanted to interview Nick Sirianni first. Once they interviewed Nick Sirianni, they were like, this is the guy. So they hired Nick Sirianni with the understanding that Nick Sirianni was going to coach Carson Wentz. So their their reason for for hiring him was they wanted him to try to convince Carson to come back to Philly, that his offense will be very similar to the one that Frank runs and that he will have the same success that he had. You know, the previous years we talked about 81 touchdowns, 21 picks. So they you know, they met Carson basically told him there's absolutely no reason, no way I'm staying here. I want out. I want to go somewhere else. And so basically their whole reason for hiring Nick Sirianni was to try to fix Carson Wentz and keep him in Philly. And it and as soon as that happened, it was kind of like, well, it just shows how, how crazy things are in Philly. I mean, because they basically hired Sirianni to coach this guy because he was kind of the underling of of reich and he knew reich's offense and he knew how you know what you know how to coach it and what to do And he and he thought he could fix whence he told uh howie roseman jeffrey lurie that stuff when they interviewed him like oh, you, no question i can fix them and then carson just threw, threw cold water on that when they met was like listen i i don't want to be here anymore and so that's when that's when the uh trade rumors heated up between the colts and the uh and the Eagles, and you know the rest is history. And I, I'm, and just as an aside, I, I think, and this is no shade towards anybody, but I, I think that the Eagles organization and that team is in for a very, 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 very long season.
0: What player do you think might have an off year? So, kind of a negative question to a pretty positive Q and A.
1: That's an interesting question. Off year? Well, I I don't know if this is a guy that's going to have an off year so much as it is it just a guy that's getting older. But I would say Ty. Um, You know, he's on the back end. Uh, I could. I I hope I'm wrong, dude. I hope he tears it up and has like 1,500 yards receiving. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I just receivers don't age well, and most of them. The small ones, and and so uh, that would be my guy. I really hope I'm wrong because, or or maybe somebody like Doyle. You know, he's he's starting to get a little older. Um, I'm trying to think on defense. This this question is really tough because I, I I love where we're going with this team. It tends to be older guys, yep. guys that are like in you know that are on the back end or whatever. So, you know, maybe Zave gets you know has a bad year i I, but i i don't don't think that's gonna happen so i dude it's a that's a that's a tough question it's super negative but uh (laughs) we
0: answer all your questions here so i'll i'll go ty or doyle that's my answer i was thinking ty because we've seen him start to break down the last couple years I was also thinking, and there's really no logic behind it, Xavier Rhodes too, because we don't have a lot of old players. So naturally right. when you get a question like this, you're going to think old. Like, what was right. the exact wording of the question? Take a step back, I guess. Something like that. Might old have player. an off
1: year. Might have an off yeah, year. Yeah, because
0: like, like you could have Rock, Banigou. Like those are easy answers, but when I read this question, I think, think like a good player having an off year. I don't think of like a guy who was off last year and it's going to be more off or as off this year. So Xavier, I could just see because corners when corners fall off, as we saw, we saw it with Vontae Davis, he fell off like off a cliff. Like it was quick and Xavier Rhodes struggled his final year in Minnesota. Then he came last year. He had a great bounce back season And then we only signed him to the one year deal. So, like, I could see him losing that. Like, I can't see it, but if I have to pick somebody, I'm going to go with the older guy on defense because Houston's gone.
1: Well, my my counter to that would be Vontae was a press corner, man corner, and that man corners fall fall off the cliff. Like, it's so fast. Now, now Zay, he was falling off a cliff the last year in Minnesota because he was playing press man. That's true. And not a lot of zone. Now he's in his zone. And he played really well in it. He's learning it. I mean, he's in a second year of it. So I don't think that's going to happen with him. It's like with Richard Sherman, I think playing
0: zone when you, when you have the instincts to play Ooh, it, I got a good one. Okay. And this guy had a very good, year. I thought he had a bounce back year last year because of the pressure behind him. What about Mark Lewinsky? Because it's his final year and there's going to be some guys pushing him from behind where if he were to slip up, you could have a couple guys behind him that are ready to just steal that spot. Certainly possible. Certainly
1: possible. I I mean, honestly, I I think Lewinsky's probably at his last year here, if you want to know the truth.
0: I think so, too.
1: You got got a couple guys pushing him, so that's certainly a possibility. And if he takes a step back, you know, obviously Colts will probably move on. So that's a good answer, yeah.
0: All right. Let's see if we could end this on a positive note after talking about which guy is going to take the biggest step back? Uh-oh, it seems negative off the jump. If Rock underperforms this season, do you think the Colts will move on? Wow. It depends on how bad. I mean, Because I mean, he's still on a rookie contract, so usually you still keep him for that fourth year. Usually. Like we saw it with this year right now. We're going into the fourth year of – Taequann Lewis, who struggled in between his second and third year, but he did bounce back a little bit in the third year. You know, Banigou's still here, even though he was in Rock's class. Even Quincy made it into his third year, right? And then after that, we traded him. So I think worse comes to worse. You see Rock traded next year for a sixth round pick, as we saw with Quincy. And so far, he hasn't been as bad as Quincy. Like, we've seen way more good. Out of Rock yeah. that we saw the first two years out of Quincy, so there's been more of a roller coaster up and down than Quincy, who's just kind of like bad and immature. Like Rock, there's no maturity issues, there's no practice issues. It's just being overly physical and picking up penalties and getting beat defensively. And some of that is just like not even your get, fault if you're trying. Right. Well, his big.
1: Well, I think his bigger issue. There's two issues with Rock. The one is he's very grabby. We knew that mm-hmm. coming out of college. He's got. He's just had a hard time breaking that habit. But the second issue, which is a little more concerning for a corner, is he gets in his own head, and that's a horrible yeah. thing for a corner because you're going to get beat. And so, here's what I think: if Rock, if Rock can lock down the number two spot this year and not lose his job all year, and he plays number two, I think he, he makes it through his deal. I think if he loses his job to Marvell or to somebody else, I think they trade him after the season. Because Rock, his his mental state is so fragile that once he loses that starting job, I mean, he wasn't worth a damn last year after he lost his starting job to to TJ Carey. Once he loses that starting job, you've, to me, you've lost the kid. So you trade him.
0: Yep. All right, Jason, let's end this on a positive note since – those last two questions were a little bit negative. I have a couple questions for you because you weren't on the podcast with me when I went over the schedule. What are your twenty twenty one schedule predictions? Way too early.
1: Wow, I'm not even. I was not even prepared for this. Um, I'm gonna say ten and seven. I just I I haven't gone through it really too closely. But I think the, the, the ceiling for it is probably for the team is probably twelve or thirteen. And I think the floor is probably nine. I mean it meaning like if Wentz stinks it up like eight or nine, maybe. I am gonna go with ten or eleven. I'm gonna go ten just because it's a tough, tough schedule. Then I think that they'll be competitive with with Tennessee. I really think it comes down to the to, to i mean. For me, everything always comes down to divisional games. So we have got to go at minimum five and one in our divisional games. If we go five and one, I think we win the division. If we go anything less than that, meaning if we lose to another team besides the Titans, I don't know if we'll be able to take two from the Titans. They're 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 a good team. Mm -hmm. So we split with them. We cannot lose enough. Like we our big issue in the past has been we we lose that second game.
0: Yep, we usually and we cannot.
1: Yeah, we cannot do that. No, we cannot do that. If we can go five and one, go 10 and seven. I think we win the division because, because Tennessee plays the same schedule as us. You know, they're, they're playing the AFC East. They're playing the NFC West. They're playing the same schedule, maybe even harder. They've, they've got, they've got the toughest teams to play. So we'll see what, what happens, man. I, I like our team. I like the direction it's going in. I know this is a long answer to a simple question, but, but to answer the question. That's I'd all right. say I
0: did a thirty five minute podcast on it by myself, so, <laughs> Go in, so yeah, going two minutes on this answer is not that long. Yeah, ten
1: and seven competing for the division. Uh that's that's
0: that's where I think we'll be. And were you on the Eric Fisher one with me, or did I do that solo? No, too? you did that alone too. All right, then my final question for you, Jason, on this for the culture post draft QA. I didn't know I was what, being interviewed tonight. What were your thoughts on the Colts <laughs> signing Eric Fisher?
1: I mean, I loved it. I was told they were interested in both Leno and Fisher, but the connections to Fisher in the end from Ballard, knowing him and his time in uh, in Kansas City were too much. And I think they liked him a bit better as a player and, and, and the fit there with our offensive line. So I'm happy with it. Obviously, it costs a little bit more money than what you know Leno would have cost. But at the end of the day, you got to pay to get talent, and I think he fits what we do. And I think once we get him on the field, we will be – if not the best, the second best line in the league. And I, I don't have any questions about it. I think it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun to watch that offensive line work together. It's gonna be fun to know that we have, you know, depth at every spot there. And I'm I'm you know, it all makes sense to me now. Now not reaching on a tackle makes sense. All, all that stuff makes sense. We got the guy that I think Ballard pretty much wanted the entire time. Once they got him in there and worked him out and they saw that he's you know he's not too far away and he's doing good in his rehab they they, uh, they locked him down and, and got him to sign that deal. So, yeah, man, I feel good about it. And honestly, if he plays well, I wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to a two-year deal because I think he's only 29, no, maybe 30.
0: He, yeah, I think he's 31. Oh, he's 31? Yeah, I think he's 31. But still, I mean, 31 is a year or two younger than Anthony Costanza, right, who we didn't want to see retire and we hoped we could bring back for another couple of years. So you could still play good football for a few years into your 30s.
1: absolutely so I mean I think if he plays well you could see him sign you know maybe like a two-year deal or maybe a a one-year extension or something like that because I mean it's really hard to find good left tackles and he's as solid as they come so I love I love the signing I think it was the final kind of okay we're done with the big name guys and we're gonna this is our squad we're gonna roll with barring any you know post June 1st releases you know always keep an eye on those but I like I like our team, man. I really do. I like where we're headed. I like uh, I like the competition. We have competition everywhere, and you know that we love that here on the oh, yeah. show. We always talk about it. I mean, we, we've even got it at kicker this year. So kicker and backup um, quarterback. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I, I'm just really excited about what we have going here, the momentum that this team has, and uh, I'm and man, I, I'm excited about the season coming up. I just can't wait
0: absolutely me too that's my man jason spears i'm your host luke diamond coming up next week we're going to start our all 22 with the signing of eric fisher it feels like this roster is pretty much set now heading towards training camp so we'll start our all 22 we'll go position by position some positions look the same as they did this time last year some positions have major upgrades like defensive end where you pretty much scrap what you had last year at the starters you draft two guys in the first two rounds so we'll go over that obviously a new quarterback so the quarterback room changed a lot from this time last year to this time now this year so That'll be starting next week, and then hopefully we could add a couple interviews and different things of that nature as well. So keep it locked right here on For The Culture Podcast.